0: Uh, let's behold God's living word as we open to Colossians chapter 4 we're going to be in verses 7 through 18 as we finish this study on the book of Colossians this letter has been a blessing really to our church over the last few months and it's sad to finish it to be honest with you it's I've uh, been walking closely with it and as well as you, and it's been a blessing. And we, we've entitled this sermon series, Christ is All, because the book of Colossians is all about Christ. And it's all about this gospel that we've been given. And it's all about this truth that our lives are hid with Christ in God. And that we've been qualified by the Father through the Son as his children. And we have walked throughout this book. In fact, I would say we've kind of scrubbed through it. Uh, We have walked closely with what Paul was telling this church at Colossae. And And I pray and I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. As we kind of recap the book, before we get into the final stages of this letter, it's good for us to remember that Paul starts off the letter by praying for this church, that they would know and grow in the will of God, that they would know God in the way that know God is through Christ. And so he gives this unbelievable explanation of who Christ is and who uh, Christ is for the church uh, and who Christ is in creation. Christ is over both. Uh, We see that he has formed and fashioned a people for himself. It's called the church, and Christ is the head of that body. We see this in Colossians 1.18. And Paul, this apostle, cares greatly for this church. And he's reminding the church at Colossae to to make sure that you don't listen to false teachers. And through chapter 2, he gives examples of the the teaching of the false teachers. And he reminds them, argument over argument, of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. He reminds the Colossians that you were baptized in Christ. You are in Christ. And he then goes on in chapter 3 to talk about the Christian life. He walks through what it looks like to put on righteousness, not, not to be approved by God, but because we have been approved by God in Christ, what it looks like to turn from sin. Not only are we forgiven of sin, but we actually, through the Spirit, are able to walk away from sin and as we're being formed in maturity in Christ. He uh, finishes uh, kind of the last part of the letter last week, talking about the nation's church he wants the nations to be considered by the church he prays for the church to have doors open for the gospel to spread and in this final section of the letter he has all these players all these partners in the gospel in view he gives us this glorious view of what a christ-centered ministry looks like there's a couple of local churches as we'll see in view here But God enlists people from all different types of backgrounds, all different histories, genders, ethnic backgrounds to partake in the ministry of the gospel to the glory of his name and for the good of the church. And so as we close this greeting today, let us take away from it. Oftentimes, if you're doing Bible reading apps, we kind of skip over the greetings. Guys, there is meat on the bone for us today. So, I pray that the word sits on you and does work in you, that you rejoice and you're encouraged and also convicted. And I, as I pray, uh, each and every single time the word is preached. So, let me read this passage over you today, starting in verse seven, and we'll go from there. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning who you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. There's a lot going on in this little greeting to end it all. There's just a few things I want us to take away from today. Just before we get into it, I'm going to explain. I'm going to do a little bit different sermon today. I'm going to explain the text in full. And then at the end, we're going to go through applications for us. Okay, so a little bit different. So I I want you to be aware of that as we get into this. But... If we could summarize the sermon, I would do so in this way. As members of Christ's body, we are called to partner with other saints to build up his kingdom. So as members of Christ's body, we are called to partner with other saints to build up his kingdom. We will look at three sections today in Paul's final greeting. First, we're going to look. Uh, at these gospel partnerships in in all three of the stages. But gospel partnerships uh, involve saints encouraging one another. We're going to see what that looks like here at the end of this letter. Uh, Gospel partnerships also involve saints from all backgrounds. This will be very obvious as we work through the greeting. And then lastly, as we consider building up the kingdom and gospel partnerships, gospel partnerships embolden saints to persevere until the very end. So that's where we're heading today. Look with me in verse seven. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So this first point we're gonna look at today is this gospel partnerships Uh, include encouragement for the saints. Gospel partnerships include encouragement for the saints. Well, where am I getting that from this text? Well, these two brothers uh, mean a lot to Paul, as we will see. You see there, Tychicus is the first one who is mentioned. And Paul describes him as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord, meaning in the work of Christ or in Christ through salvation. And he is going to the church and telling the church of the activities that's gone on in Paul's life. We see that in verse 7, and he is to remind them of how their companion is doing. But we see at the end of verse 8 there's a sp- specific purpose why Tychicus is being sent to them. It's that they may be encouraged in the ministry by Paul. You see there at the end of verse at the end of verse 8 to encourage your hearts. Well, we know through the scriptures that Tychicus was one of Paul's most beloved and trusted brothers. He is the deliverer of the gospel, or excuse me, uh, the letter of the Ephesians. Uh, He delivered the letter, and we see this at the end of chapter 6, verses 21 and 22. He also delivered uh, the letter to Philemon. Uh, He was a a brother that Paul sent to Titus while he was in Crete. We see this in Titus 3.12. We also see that he probably delivered Paul's final letter that he ever wrote, which is 2 Timothy, some three or four years later after he wrote the letter to the Colossians. He is a carrier of the gospel, which means he is the first leg of how the gospel got to us. He is trusted and he is faithful and Paul depends greatly on him. What a job to carry the scriptures. He's carrying the Bible in his it is knapsack, this is quite the responsibility that he has. But it's not just carrying the scriptures. We see in verse 7 that he's supposed to tell Paul about all of his activities and to remind the brothers of what's going on in Paul's life. So he has oratory responsibilities as well. It was common for a letter, a letter carrier to expound upon the letter that was being written to give defense to it, to impress the teaching further. And we believe this is what uh, Tychicus is doing here in Colossae. He's like an ambassador. So as Paul writes and speaks, Tychicus kind of represents him and the message that is being brought forward. One of his responsibilities also is found in verse verse 9 of this little letter. He has Onesimus with him. Well, who is Onesimus? Well, outside of knowing that he is a companion of Tychicus... And a fellow Colossian, he says he's one of you, so he's also a Colossian. We learn most about Onesimus from the letter, of, a letter to Philemon. So we're not going to have time to jump over to the letter of Philemon today, but we understand who Onesimus was from that letter. So a letter has been written by Paul to Philemon. Philemon was where the church, Philemon's house is where the church at Colossae gathered. We see this from the book of Philemon. And so uh, Onesimus happened to be a former slave or servant from the house of Philemon, and he left, and it sounds like it was abrupt leaving. In fact, he probably fled because he was looking for his own life to live. But somewhere along the way, Onesimus comes into contact with the Apostle Paul, and he, be- and he becomes saved. He hears the gospel, he receives the gospel. And the apostle Paul ministers to this brother who is from Colossae. And so when we look at the letter to the Colossians and the letter to, the, uh, to Philemon, we have this picture that Paul spent time with him. He called him his beloved child. He becau- called him his beloved brother. And he says, as he's sending Onesimus back to Philemon so that they can reconcile, he's saying, I'm sending my very heart to you. So there is a huge transformation that's gone on in this brother's life. In fact, whatever Onesimus has done to Philemon, Paul says, I'll pay it back myself. That's how certain I am that this man's life has been transformed. And so he's going back with Tychicus to deliver this news to the Colossians and probably at the same time delivering the letter to Philemon. And we see in verse 9, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. So both of them will encourage the saints that are there at Colossae. Guys, everybody in the church needs to be encouraged by the work that God is doing. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's sending them back and letting them know how God continues to work amongst the churches. What he's doing to sustain him while he's in prison. Asking for prayer so that a door can be opened. Encouragement is something that we all need. Now look with me in verse 10. So basically verses 10 through 14, we see a list of six men that Paul mentions. And and, and you can break these six men into two groups. The first three men he mentions are Jews. Jews who are working with Paul in the kingdom of God. The second three are Gentiles who are also working with Paul in the kingdom of God. So let's look at the first three Real quick, number t- uh, verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barn- Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me, Paul says. And this is where we're gonna get our second point today. This, verses 10 through 14. Gospel partnerships will include ministers from all backgrounds, or saints from all backgrounds. We're going to talk a little bit about this in the application portion even further. But look at these three brothers, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. These three are Jews, meaning they're from the circumcision party. And they are partnering with Paul for kingdom matters. And I love what Paul says there at the end of verse 11, he says, and they have been a comfort to me. Even the mighty Paul needs comfort, gospel encouragement, while he's in provision uh, while he's in prison, and God has provided such provision for him. Aristarchus was Paul's fellow prisoner, as verse ten says. We know that he's a Macedonian from Thessalonica. This is where we we find this in Acts chapter twenty-seven, verse two, and he traveled with Paul on his third missionary journey. More than likely delivering the financial contributions to the church at Jerusalem. We see that he was with Paul at the riots that occurred in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, which means he's probably endured suffering with Paul. Also given the fact that he's a fellow prisoner with Paul. He's a trusted companion. We don't know much about Aristarchus, but we know that he's trusted minister of the gospel with Paul. Then look, the second brother mentioned is Mark. This is Barnabas' cousin. Uh, Barnabas is obviously an apostle we see in Acts chapter 12. This is John Mark, the one that uh, is a cousin of Barnabas the apostle. And Mark accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey from Antioch to Jerusalem. He is known for uh, leaving Paul and Pamphylia. Uh, There was a sharp disagreement that arose amongst them at some point, uh, either over Mark's ability to endure or his ailments, but a sharp disagreement arose amongst Barnabas and Paul as to whether Mark would be a good companion on the second missionary journey. Ultimately, they decided to break from there. Paul took Silas with him, and uh, Barnabas and Mark went and sailed to Cyprus from there. But given the fact that Mark sends greetings and he's also mentioned in the letter to Philemon, and he's also mentioned as a help to Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see that there is some sort of reconciliation that has transpired amongst them. So we're going to get into that here in just a moment. In verse 10 it says he's a cousin of Barnabas, probably just an identifier as to who it is. But it says that the Colossians had received instructions concerning Mark. We're not real sure what those instructions are, but we know that they've received some sort of instructions, whether this was about their disagreement or how to handle him or when he's coming or whatever the instructions are. We know that Paul says to welcome him. And that idea of welcoming him means to welcome him as you would Paul himself. So Mark is a trusted, beloved brother who greets the church at Colossae along with the other saints. And then the last one is Justice. Well, technically his name is called Jesus, but he probably did the right thing in changing his name to Justice after realizing that the Messiah came and was, his name was Jesus. Uh, the Greek there is Iesus, which is where we get, uh, it's, it's, it's transcribed from the Hebrew Joshua. So it's a common name, but more than likely he's thinking, I'm going to have another name so that people know who I am. So if you name your kid Jesus, maybe we can call him Justice. But we don't know anything about justice. We just know that Paul trusts him and he sends his greetings with him. Now now look at these Gentiles in verse 12. We see uh, Epaphras, who is one of you, meaning Epaphras is a Colossian. We've already talked about this. A servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you. I love how he describes Epaphras here. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness, Paul says, that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And then Luke, a beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. So there's Gentile co-workers with Paul as well. Look with with me at Epaphos very quickly. We talked about Epaphras in chapter 1. He is the brother that received the gospel from Paul, and then he takes the gospel, and he proclaims it in the Lycus Valley, and three churches plant up from there, the church at Colossae, the church at Laodicea, and the church at Hierapolis, and then he's also the one that brings word back to Paul on how the church is doing, and he informs him that the church is under attack by false teachers, but he also brings encouragement to Paul, knowing that the the church of Colossae is faithful and they're believing in the gospel. He means a lot to the church of Colossae and he means a lot to the apostle Paul. Paul refers to him, as you'll see there in the text, as a servant of Christ or as a slave of Christ. Paul does not give the description of slave of Christ to many, but he does to Epaphras. In fact, I think he only gives it to himself, maybe a couple of others. But it means that Epaphras is submitted to Christ in every area of his life. This is a faithful brother. This is a this is a faithful pastor who's labored for this church. And how has he labored? Well, he's always struggling on behalf in his prayers for this church. So this is the brother who has proclaimed the gospel to this church, and this is the bro- the brother who is praying for this church, proclaiming and praying for this church faithfully. And Paul bears witness to this work. What an encouragement it must be for a to hear of that testimony that Paul gives. Look with me in verse 14. It says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, the companion of Paul in his travels. This is the author of the book of Luke and Acts. He is a close companion to Paul. We see in the book of Acts these wee passages where he's with Paul, he's writing with Paul, he's probably been just about every single place with Paul. And is it not the kindness of our Lord to provide a grateful, faithful, or a a great faithful physician to care for the apostle Paul and all the apostles as they endured and were afflicted for the name of the gospel or the name of Christ as they proclaim the gospel. This is such a provision from the Lord. So he greets them as well, as does Demas. And we don't really know anything about Demas from this passage. He's also mentioned very briefly in Philemon as well. Uh, We do see some three or four years later, as as the letter to 2 Timothy was written, the second letter to Timothy was written, that Demas deserted Paul. And that he fell in love with the world. So it is a little irking to see that he is greeting the church. He's for the work of the apostle here. And then some three or four years later, he has deserted him because he loves the world. we are going to get into that here in just a second. Because perseverance... Which something that Demas did not do is a part of the responsibility of the church, and which actually kind of grafts us into verse fifteen. Uh, we want to be a church that perseveres in the Christian walk, and this is kind of found in the language of Paul's writing. As he writes, he's constantly reminding them of truth and wanting them to hold firmly to the gospel. So look with me in verse 15. He says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter of the Laodicea, uh, uh, from Laodicea. In verse 17, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. In verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is where we get our little third point for us today. Gospel partnerships are to embolden the saints to persevere. The fact that he's still writing to the churches, he's wanting the churches at Colossae and Laodicea to switch letters. He's wanting them to persevere in the faith. And then he gives specific instruction to a man by the name of Archippus to see to it that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And so we want to embolden the saints to persevere in the work of ministry. We see that this is how Christ is proclaimed, this is how Christ is glorified, and this is how the church is edified and been brought mature, which is one of the main themes that we've studied throughout the book of Colossians, if you remember. Now Laodicea is nine to eleven miles away from Colossae, as has been mentioned earlier in the series, and it is uh, in some way cooperating with the church at Colossae. Now, they're their own local churches, but they know of each other and they're collaborating. We don't know how they're collaborating. It's unclear on how they're collaborating. But more than likely, the players in both of those churches, they know each other. And in the Lycus Valley, the gospel is going forward through these local bodies. And... Again, churches are instructed to read each other's letters. It, it tells us something that about Paul's writing, that though certain churches receive certain letters, the truth that is found in every letter has transcendent glory in it. So it might be written to the Colossians, but there's something true in it for the Laodiceans and vice versa. So even though we don't live in Colossae and we don't live in Laodicea, uh, brothers, there's something explicit glorious, and transcendent for us as a local church to read the letters that were written to local churches. Now look with me in verse 15. There is a lady there named Nympha. It's unclear as to whether the Laodicean church met in Nympha's house, or if Paul is referring to another local congregation in the Laodicean area, because that and the church that meets in her house can be trans, translated either and or especially to the house, or especially to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. So we don't know how to, 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 to fully rectify that, but we recognize that there's a local church that meets in Nympha's house, and that she was more than likely a woman, though some Greek scholar, scholars believe that she was a man. Uh, her name can be translated in both male and female. Um, But we actually believe that she was a woman. Uh, Probably in your mind, think about Lydia, Thyatira, in Acts chapter 16. She's a woman of means, probably a widow that was hosting the church in her house. Nympha is probably the very same. We're gonna talk about her in just a little bit. And then look with me in verse 17, Archippus. It's the same brother that is addressed in the letter to Philemon. And he's addressed as a fellow soldier. Archippus is believed to be the son of Philemon, who, who's, who hosts the, house, uh, the church in his house at Colossae. And we see this from Philemon 1, verses 1 and 2. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow co-worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. So this church met in their home. So the belief is that Philemon and Aphia are married, and they have a son, and his name is Archippus. And Archippus has a ministry that has been entrusted to him. And whatever that ministry is, there is an encouragement to finish it. I don't know if he's lacking in that ministry and needs to be admonished, or if it's just a gentle reminder to fulfill the ministry. He has been giving a ministry You can imagine hearing your name read, being like, listen up, take notes. I need to finish the ministry that the Lord has given to me. And then finally Paul concludes, this letter has been written by my own hand. means his apostolic approval is on the letter. Um, He agrees with all the doctrine of the letter that we've been scrubbing through over this summer. And he says, remember my chains. That's an appeal to pray for him. And then he says, grace be with you, which is just It's a nod to the grace of God in Christ. Remember that grace is with you. So guys, there's a plurality of things going on here. And I know that's a little bit different type of sermon than we've been preaching here, but I I do wanna get practical for just a minute. What does this have to do with us? What lessons can the church learn from the church at Colossae and Laodicea? Well, I have some takeaways. Uh, uh, There's 15 of them. And as I started working down... The list, and we're, we're going to go quickly through each one, but as I started working down the list, I noticed that the first five or six were R's. They started with an R. So I went all the way through the list with 15, uh, 15 that started with R. Um, that's the most Southern Baptist thing I've ever done in my entire life. And, uh, but I do want us to take these truths away, and I want us to apply them uh, as the church as we finish up this letter. May we finish up strong. And, and again, let's not be tempted to put the greeting down, but to be faithful with it. So just a few observations from the greeting that we can take away. One, recognize that the gospel of Christ gathers peoples of all sorts. Think about this. In this letter, there's a faithful letter carrier, a converted slave, rich and poor. Nympha was rich, Onesimus was poor, Jews and Gentiles, a doctor, a church planter, a pastor, wealthy woman, a minister, and an apostle. God uses and enlists people from all different types of backgrounds, ethnicities, gender, to do his will. Beloved, 1st Irving has 14 nationalities, first generation nationalities that we can count amongst the pastors. There might be more. We have men, women, doctors, teachers, nurses, manual laborers, a judge, different languages. Past gifts, etc. And the church has been formed by Christ to love and to serve one another. I want us to think about that. I, I'm looking out in this room, different ages, stages of life, backgrounds. We have been called by God to recognize that Christ gathers people from all over. Ministry is not individual. There's not like this individual itinerant ministry that each of, this is all for one another. So let's just think about that. Now, number two, read aloud the gospel of Christ. Read aloud the gospel of Christ. You think about it. They read the letter aloud. Uh, the scripture is also meant to be read aloud. There's something about hearing the scripture, ministry that the, that the Lord does when the scriptures are read. This is why we read scripture in our services Uh, We want to be faithful to open God's word and to read God's word because the word of God is living and it's active and it's for us. It instructs us. So sometimes in your groups, it would be good just to read the scripture aloud together. Have it read over you and think about what it is that you are hearing. It would be good, a great family worship practice to just open your scripture and to have it read aloud in your home. Number three, remember that Christ forgives past sins and creates new life. Remember that Christ forgives past sins and creates new life. Onesimus, I mean, this is true of all the saints that are mentioned, but we see Onesimus. He left under not good circumstances, probably even stealing from Philemon, encounters the risen Lord through the proclamation of Paul's gospel, and his heart is changed. Brothers and sisters, I don't want us to ever forget that those who have ran away uh, can be rescued by the gospel. There might be people who are coming to your mind right now who are walking in sin that need to hear the gospel. Let's not think that they're outside the bounds of God's grace if it's according to his will. Let's be faithful to proclaim it. The gospel is still in the business of forgiving past sins and creating new life. Number four, reconcile with brothers and sisters. By the time this letter was written, Paul and Mark had clearly been reconciled. Uh, There was a disagreement amongst them, brothers and sisters, there's been disagreements amongst us throughout the years, but we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and the gospel has the power to bring us together in him. So my question to us, is there anyone amongst the congregation that you need to reconcile with, that you need to make things right? It might actually start with you confessing sin. Or confessing where you could have handled something different. Uh, but, but think on that. Think about how Paul says Mark is a help to him in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Even though there was a sharp, a sharp disagreement. Um, so consider that And this number four. Number five. There's some recommendations for aspiring pastors. Recommendations for aspiring pastors. Uh, th- this is also a warning for current pastors. Pastors and elders. This is for us. And then this is also kind of an exhortation for any of you who lead and oversee the souls through teaching or through discipleship. But recommendation, there's two of them I have. Very quickly, you ought to always be about spiritual maturity. If your heart is not bent on the spiritual maturity of a brother or a sister, you are probably not called to the pastorate. And and, and let that sit on us who are pastors and then also those who lead. Spiritual maturity is always in view in, in Paul's example in, in chapter 1, how he's constantly laboring for them uh, to grow in Christ. He wants them to see them grow in Christ. And then also we see this through Epaphras. If you want to have a good model for a pastor, sometimes we look at Paul we're like, no, uh, that guy is different. Uh, but Epaphras might be a good one because he looks a whole lot like Paul does. And we recognize that the spirit of God through the word of God can form faithful pastors into people who are genuinely interested and concerned with the spiritual maturity of the people until they're formed into maturity in Christ. And then secondly, of the recommendation for inspiring pastors, finish the call to ministry that you've received. That's for any of us, whatever ministry that the Lord has given to us. See to it that we are faithful to complete it it's easy to start ministry and to get going. And when the honeymoon's over, or when, when people aren't volunteering like they used to, or people aren't showing up like you used to, there's a discouragement that takes place, but we are called to complete the ministry that we have received from the Lord Jesus. And this isn't always easy, but it's good. It's right. So think about that. What is the ministry that you have received from the Lord Jesus in this season of your life or the ministry that you are preparing for? And recognize there's a faithful application to fulfill the ministry that God has given to you. Uh, Number six, reaching full maturity is the aim of the Christian. So if the pastor's aim is to to prepare and to present people mature in Christ then the body's responsibility is to recognize that the aim of the Christian is to be formed into the maturity of Christ. If Epaphras is praying for this in verse 17, and we see in Colossians 1.28, if you continue stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel to present you mature and complete in the faith, this is the responsibility of the congregation. We celebrate baptism. We celebrate new life in Christ, but that is not the end goal. That is the first step. We are to grow into the image of Christ. So Just put that in your mind. What does this look like? Number seven, reassure your brothers and sisters of Christ's work. Uh, another, said another way, we want to uh, encourage brothers and sisters. I love how Paul encourages pa- Epaphras. He, 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 he puts his name on his ministry. He said, this brother has been laboring for you. He sends these fellow workers, these beloved brothers. By by attaching that kind of language to these men uh, in this text, he's showing his endorsement of their faith. And we're to do the very same. When's the last time that you encouraged the brokenhearted or the hurting? When's the last time you encourage someone to fulfill the ministry that God has given them? We are to use our mouths to edify the body, to take Paul's example here, and to put it in kind of in practice in our own lives. Uh, oftentimes, we don't figure out our spiritual gifts by taking a test. We don't. Oftentimes, we, we, we figure out what we'd like to do through a spiritual test. But a spiritual test is affirmed by the saints that sit next to you. I see this in you. And we encourage one another to be built up in the body of Christ. Number eight. Remind yourself and your brothers that Christ-centered ministry is hard work. That it is hard work. I mean, Paul's writing this from a Roman prison. Aristarchus is with him. It says that Epaphras is struggling in his prayers. We see that Tychicus has been sent all around Asia Minor uh, to fulfill the ministry that he's received from the Lord. Uh, We see that ministry is tough. We see that false teachers come in. This is not um, candy canes and, I don't know, dog walking. I don't don't know. (laughs) The ministry that God has given to us is hard work and it's meant to be as it's shaping us into the image of Christ and we have to remember that. So remind each other that this is difficult. Even Paul in verse 11, these brothers have been a comfort to me. I'm sure there's nights he's writing in prison going, my goodness, Lord, where are you? But these brothers are reminding him of the truth. They're a comfort. And so it's good for us to remember that as well. Number nine, request the Lord's help through prayer. Paul is praying for the church, that they would grow in the knowledge of God's will in chapter one, verses nine through 14. Uh, He's asking them, the church, to pray in Colossians chapter four, verse two. Would you pray that a door is open? Would you remain steadfast in your prayers? Would you be growing in thanksgiving in your prayers? And then we see, again, referencing Epaphras, how he's praying for the church to be formed and mature. Request the Lord's help through prayer. I do hope that we are a praying church, a church that petitions the Lord. I pray that our knees have scabs on them. I pray that they uh, are prone to arthritis when we get older because we are a people who are seeking the Lord through prayer, praying for one another, praying for our city, praying for our body to be presented mature in Christ, just as exemplified here in the text Uh, Verse 10, or excuse me, number 10 of my 15 R's of application, thank you, Uh, uh, remain steadfast in the Lord, remain steadfast in the Lord, this is important, because Demas did not, don't be a Demas. That's kind of been a slogan we've been saying in our house around uh, this week. Don't be a Demas. And I, I know it's, it's, it, it, it's actually not funny. It's, it's actually really important that we don't become a Demas, that we don't get so distracted by the things that are happening in this world that we forget our first love, that we forget Christ. It, it is, it's remarkable to me that just a few years later he's deserted Paul because he's tired of the prison life. He's tired of, he's he's waiting for the hope of the gospel and he feels like it's never coming, but the hope of the gospel is in Christ. It's not in the circumstances that we want changed in our life. Don't be a demon, because it proved that his faith was disingenuous. Also consider this the church at Laodicea, which is also being addressed here in this letter. This is the church that Paul, or excuse me, that John writes about some 30 years later in the book of Revelation. It's the church that is neither hot nor cold. It's lukewarm. And there's a warning, church, to remain stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. We don't know what it looked like for the church at Laodicea in the end. We'll one day learn but there's still a reminder for us to remain stable and steadfast. Paul's acknowledgement in Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Continue in the faith, not in your works to be approved, not in all that you're trying to do for God to like you. No, remember what Christ has done. Stay there. Be stable and steadfast in the faith there. A A great application is for you to find an older saint in the church. Go up to them and ask them how they have been stable and steadfast, how they have not shifted from the hope of the gospel. If you don't know any, come and talk to us, ministers, talk to Michelle, find us. We will give you a list of people who have gone through a lot of change, who have seen the world turn over, and who have not taken their eyes off of Christ. Now, that's, a, that's also a reminder to the older saint to continue stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. You, we're looking to you to see how it's done. Uh, to the younger saint who is learning and who's growing and who's loving the gospel right now, it's going to get hard. It's going to take time. It's going to feel at times like, do I really believe this stuff? Stay the course. Be with the church that's constantly reminding you of the grace of God in Christ. That's for everybody in the room. Number 11, recognize Paul's faith in Christ and his example in suffering. Have you guys noticed throughout this entire letter? letter, letter Paul is concerned with the glory of Christ and he's concerned with the maturation of the, Col- of the Colossians. He's not just focusing on his circumstance. He is empowering saints with the gospel. He's asking for prayer. Yes, there's, there's an element of prayer he's asking for, but his circumstance is not what he's focused on. He wants the church to be brought to maturity. He's not only proclaiming the gospel, he's actually living out the gospel for us in this letter. As he's writing, it's just amazing. Remember how we talked a few weeks ago? Are you a here I am person or are you a there you are person? Paul is a there you are person. And this greeting is again going this person and this person and this person and you make sure you have fulfilled the ministry. He's constantly thinking about how God is glorified through his church. We have so much to learn from Paul. Number 12, and this is the biggest stretch of ours. Rapport with like-minded gospel-centered churches. Partnerships. We partner with like-minded churches, and there is good in that. That's why we're a part of the pillar network. That's why uh, people who hold doctrine high, who have a great and healthy view of the church, who want to send out church plants and missionaries, we have some that we prayed for today in our very city. We recognize that God has established the local church, but we want to pray for and partner with when we can, churches for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of Christ in our community. Because the church is, as Kyle said earlier in the service, the church is the means by which the nations hear about the glory of God. This is the means, the church. So we wanna pray for us, we wanna walk faithfully, we wanna pray for them, and we wanna know them, we're getting to know their pastors, We should get to know their church members and encourage them in the faith. Number 13, reaffirm the Lord's gifts in the women of our congregation. In the women of our congregation, we have so many faithful women in our congregation. When is the last time in a very honest and appropriate way you have encouraged a woman in our congregation by the ministry that the Lord has given to her? We don't know much about Nympha, but we do know that Paul gave a nod to her. That he said... Greet Nympha for me. Like, thank you for the ministry that you're doing, the hospitality that you're showing. It would be really good for us. Women speak life into things. They bring life into things. God has given women in uh, in our local church so that we can learn and grow and serve and be faithful. I want to encourage all of us to find the women in our congregation and to encourage them with what we see God doing in their life and how he's using them in the church. Number 14, resources are meant for the Lord's work. This is Nymphis house. She's actually showing us what hospitality looks like. She's opened up her home so that we can see what it looks like for resources to be used for the glory of God. It's pretty neat how Paul includes that into the letter. What are the resources that God has given you? And how are you using those for the glory of God? Whether your carpentry skills, I, there's a, a, a deacon or two who is building a ramp for one of our older saints right now, and I love that, uh, so that they can be cared for. Um, how are you using your house? It's a great question to ask. How are you using your house for the ministry of Christ? And the fi- fifth and, uh, 15th and finally, um, rejoice that Christ continues for those who receive Christ Jesus the Lord. This is verse 18. Paul ends his letter, grace be with you. It's a nod to the glory of God in Christ. This whole letter is about the glory of Christ and the grace that is found in him. And Paul says, grace be with you. Grace is found in one place, in Jesus. And we pray that you have a greater understanding, church, of grace because of the book of Colossians. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer as we close and and then we'll respond. Lord, we do thank you for this glorious letter that you have preserved for 2,000 years so that we can have it, be reminded of the truth, grow in the truth, and be formed more into the image of your beloved son. And so Father, I pray that you would continue to do a great work amongst our body. Uh, Lord, through the preaching of your word, I pray that we would behold Christ in all of his glory. I pray that he would be our great affection and our great treasure. Uh, Lord, there is nothing in the sky or on the ground that is glorious, like Christ is glorious. So help, so help us to know that, to learn that, to grow in our affection for him. In Christ we pray, amen.